praise God. Continue to clap your hands and just spend a few minutes with the Lord here tonight. Praise God. What a tremendous presence of the Lord here tonight. I feel, I feel like just standing still and standing quiet and just basking in the presence of the Lord. Amen. I, uh, I feel Jesus in the house. You just lift your hands and your voices one more time and just, just take your time. We'll go back to our worlds in a few hours, but right now, come on, men. Come on, men. Come on, men. Something deep is moving here right now. else matters. Nothing else is important, God. Let strength be in this place tonight, God. The power of your Spirit baptize us, unite us. I think one of the, one of the greatest uh, end-time uh, tools in the devil's toolbox that he'll use against the church. It's not, it's not a new thing, but I think it's going to have a revival. And that is of um, disunity, of individualism. And not so much as uh, spirits that attack and so discord, but I think just aloneness. Well, you know, I just love God, live for God. Nobody knows. Nobody cares. I'm by myself. and I go to church, but I don't fit. I know I need to belong, but I don't fit. I know I'm part of something bigger than me, but I don't even understand who I am, much less what it is. And so what happens is when the church is called and uh, revival's called and prayer meetings are called, we find excuses not to be there. Men's conference come around and we find reasons not to go. Camp meeting show up, comes up and we find reasons not to be there. It's not that we're backslid. We just, we just don't feel like we're part. The minute you don't feel like you're part, you make bad decisions. 
Now, I'm, I'm going a completely different direction, but I really feel what I'm talking about right now. Um, one of the, one of the, I was called a professor here today, so I'll, I'll, I'll teach a minute here. Um, one of the spirits of the end time is to pull good men aside or apart and capitalize on their feelings of aloneness. When the people of God took Jericho, they were promised every city after Jericho. He said, I'll give you everything. It all belongs to you. But I'm going to ask that you just, you just give me what's mine. That, that's it. It's not hard. Just, just give me mine first. And so the people of God, after 40 years of wandering, 400 years of bondage, they finally walked in. The walls fell. Great deliverance took place. The people of God marched through Jericho. When it was all over with, they celebrated. They clapped slapped each other on the back and said, look what the Lord has done. Good things have happened. And then they went to Joshua and they said, look, here's the deal. Ai is next, but Ai is not as big as Jericho. So instead of sending the whole army to Jericho or to Ai, let, let me go alone. Let me just take 3,000 men going down here. And Joshua thought, you know, that's a pretty good plan. And so he sent 3,000 men and they went to Ai. The problem was when they got to Ai, Ai put a whooping on them. I mean, it sent them back like beat down puppies and when they went screaming back into Jericho and to Joshua they said you told us that God said that everything else was ours and so Joshua sought the Lord and the Lord said here's the problem the nation of Israel has sinned please hear me the entire nation has sinned. In that, Achan took of the accursed thing. Let me tell you how powerful oneness is. We've built an organization on it. The entire church is built on the power of one. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one spirit, one God, one heaven, one objective, one purpose, one. And so he said, here's what you're going to do now. You're going to bring the whole nation to me. Are you still with me? You're going to bring the whole nation to me. And then I will pull of the tribe, and you'll send the other 11 home. And when the tribe stands before me, I will single out the household. And when the household stands before me, I will single out the family. And when the family stands before me, I will show you the man. There were easier ways to do it because God already told and they knew it was Achan. But God wanted to teach the church a lesson. If you ever going to make it and get all that God's got for you, you're going to have to understand how powerful unity is. And you may have 99, but you don't have 100. And the the enemy's tactic is to get you to feel so alone that you don't buy in to the total picture. And if he can just get one or two to pull back or drag their feet, it's very simple. God judged the entire nation because one man sinned. He said the whole nation sinned. The whole nation didn't sin. Achan sinned. And Achan was judged. And it is the door of hope now. Is that not right? The Valley of Accord is also a door of hope. 
hope of revelation, hope of understanding, hope that you won't do what he did. And the lesson learned is the devil wants me to think that I'm all by myself, that I don't belong to anything bigger than what I am personally. And if he can get you to feel that way, he wins. But if that is true, can you not imagine how powerful the move of God is when the whole nation comes together, including that one man? See, here, here's, here's my point. In Genesis chapter, are you, are you okay standing a minute? In Genesis chapter 10, the Bible says that the whole earth had one language. Is that right? Genesis chapter 10, the whole earth had one language and powerful word next and one speech. See, we all share the same language, but that don't mean we're saying the same thing. We all have the ability to speak the same because we have the same language. But it doesn't mean we're on the same page. And to prove the point of the power of having the same language and the same speech, the story of the Tower of Babel is explained to us. And the people said, we will now go and we will build and we will have. And they went, and the Bible says they builded a tower and a city. And the Lord looked down and said, the people, I don't see peoples, I see people. I see a person. There's multiple peoples. There's all kinds of men and women. But when I look down, I am so blinded by their single purpose. That the Holy Ghost said, let's go. We're going down there. Because if I don't show up down there and disrupt their togetherness, they will do whatever they imagine in their heart to do. If God would show up to a bunch of half-wit, backslidden center folk that are working contrary to His will, how much more of an assurity would we have when we call a revival service or a prayer meeting that God would come if you and I would buy in? I got to go. I got to get involved. I've got to be there. I've got to give. Baptize us with un real togetherness, real unity. Amen. Amen, amen, amen. What a great presence of the Lord. I enjoyed today. I enjoyed the Brother Parrish, the superintendent. I enjoyed everything he had to say except the fact that um, um, I, I feel like I, I needed to bring him a certificate of completion tonight. He graduated, cum laude. Amen. I give honor to him. I give honor to Brother Churchill. What a tremendous, what tremendous back-to-back -back words of the Lord we enjoyed here today. Amen. Amen. For the play, oh, thank you. Thank you sincerely for the invitation. I'm glad Brother Larson couldn't come because I got to. Amen. Amen. I'm glad to have my boys with me, three of my four. And I feel, I feel blessed tonight because of that. And then friends and great men of God, preachers, um, saints, what a, what a pleasant thing to be part of. What a great thing to be part of. What a joy to be part of. We're part of the church. I know I'm taking just a minute, but just hang with me. I, I'm, I'm just so glad I'm part of the church. I mean that. I, I'm, so, I'm so glad I'm part of the apostolic church. I, I'm glad I know that baptism must be in the only name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 
I'm glad my boys know that God is not a triune. I'm glad my boys know they got to repent and be baptized and live holy and righteous and godly. I'm glad to be part of you tonight. I'll say it again. I'm glad to be part of you tonight. I'm glad to be part. I'm glad I'm your brother. Well, I'm evidently more happy about that than you are. I'm glad I'm your brother and I'm glad you're my brother. I'm glad we're in this thing together. Amen. Amen. I, uh, I, have, I have labored, uh, biblical word there, in the word of the Lord. I made up my mind that um, I, I just, we're racing a rapture, and there's so much we got to get right that pretty sermons and just preach to preach, those days ought to be behind us. They really are. They, uh, I hope I don't get in trouble with this. You, you ought to demand the pulpit to bring fresh bread. your soul at stake. Amen. Um, but last night, this morning, felt heavy, felt mandated uh, to go in a certain direction. And, uh, but tonight, if you'll just let me have just a few minutes, I'll try not to write an epistle um, and be long. Um, don't promise anything, but I'll try. Um, if you'll turn with me to the book of Isaiah chapter 22, and then we're going to read out of the book of Ezra chapter 9. And, uh, Thankful to be here, blessed to be here, and I say that sincerely, honestly. Um, Black Shears, tremendous people, more so a great friend of mine. Love them, love Mason. Good to see Mason here tonight. I'm just doing it to embarrass him. You don't have to say amen. Amen. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 22. Verse number 22, if you have it, say Amen. And the key of the house of David will I lay upon his shoulder. So he shall open, and none shall shut. And he shall shut, and none shall open. And I will fasten him as a nail in a sure place. And he shall be for a glorious throne to his father's house. And they shall hang upon him all the glory of his father's house. The offspring and the issue. All vessels, all vessels of small quantity. From the vessels of cups, even to all the vessels of flagons. In that day, saith the Lord of hosts, shall the nail that is fastened in the sure place be removed and be cut down and fall, and the burden. that was upon it that's who's going to suffer the most Ezra chapter 9 verse 8 and now for a little space of grace hath been shewed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a little reviving in our bondage we were bondmen, yet our God hath not forsaken us in our bondage, but hath extended mercy unto us in the sight of the kings of Persia to give us a reviving. Would you say reviving? And this is it, to set up the house of our God and to repair the desolation thereof and to give us a wall in Judah and in Jerusalem. Would you say that with me? And to give us a wall in Judah 
and in Jerusalem. I want to preach to you tonight, and uh, I will hasten and I will hurry if God will help me. The kingdom, personalize it, my kingdom, my house, my family, my marriage, my life, my eternity, my kingdom, rest on the nail. My kingdom, rest upon the nail. Lord Jesus, I feel very burdened and passionate, God, about what we're fixing to speak about. There's so many great men in this house. So much rests upon us as men, God. We need your help. We need your presence to baptize this place. Pray with me. Lift your voice. Come on, folks. Keep praying. Keep praying. Just just another minute. You may be seated. It was between Henry and Richard, both desiring, both of royalty, trying to be the king of England. It was one man's agenda warring against another man's agenda. It was here that a blacksmith asked the question, do you think there will be a battle? The smith went on with his work. The smith was challenged by those that were preparing for the king's army and the king's horses. He was challenged, he was commissioned to put horseshoes on the king's horses. The smith went to work. He worked tirelessly. He worked long, many hours, hot, sweaty, tired. From a bar of iron, he made four horseshoes. These hammered and shaped and fitted to the horse's feet. After the horseshoes were fitted, hammered out, made from the blacksmith's anvil, then the most important thing, he began to nail them on. After he had nailed on two shoes, he found that he had not enough nails for the other two. I have only six nails, he said, and it will take time, more time than what you have given me to hammer out ten more. But the groom looked at the blacksmith and said, Oh, well, won't six nails do anyway? Put three in each shoe. I hear the trumpets now, King Richard is most impatient. The nails, three nails, only three nails in each shoe will surely hold them on. Yes, yes, I think we will risk it. Matter of fact, put three nails to each shoe, but hurry, the king is waiting. Now the battle has been raging for some time. King Richard rode hither and thither, cheering and fighting leading his men in literally the battle of his life. His enemy, Henry, who wished to be king, was pressing hard upon him. Way out on the other side of the field, King Richard saw his men begin to fall back. And without much help, without soon help, they would soon be beaten and the kingdom lost. So history says he spurred his horse, kicked her in the flanks, and rode rode harder than he had ever ridden before. 
He was hardly halfway across the stony field when one of the horse's shoes flew off. The horse was laying on the rock. Then another shoe came off. The horse stumbled and his rider was thrown to the ground. Before this king could rise, his frightened horse, though lame, galloped away. And the king looked, saw that his shoulders, soldiers were beaten, and the battle was everywhere but going against him. He waved his sword in the air. He shouted, a horse, a horse, a kingdom for a horse. But there was no horse for him. His soldiers intent on saving themselves, they began to run the opposite direction. And the battle was lost. King Richard was lost. Henry become the king of England. And thus, what I quote tonight became famous. For the want of a nail, a shoe was lost. For the want of a shoe, a horse was lost. For the want of a horse, the battle was lost. For the failure of battle, the kingdom was lost. And all for the want of a nail. What is it about the nail? What is it about the importance of the nail? What a tragedy. A kingdom lost, literally lost because of a nail. Great influence, power, and wealth gone in a moment because one man refused to value the importance of a nail. It didn't seem important. It was irrelevant. It was minute in detail until, until the nail was needed. The kingdom of God, everything that God is, everything that God has given the church, rests upon the nail. Ezra called it a nail in a holy place. He didn't just say it was any nail in just any place, but he said it's a nail and it's in a holy place. It's an important thing, but it's also in an important place. I'm going to tell you something, brother. What we're part of is the most important thing going on in the universe tonight. Yeah, mm, mm. I don't think you heard me. There's no government meeting. There's no business meeting. There's no CEO convention. There's no presidential briefing more important than what's going on in this building right now tonight. When the men of God meet, there's nothing that trumps it. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Clap your hands and give God great praise here tonight. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. In my text, Ezra and Isaiah, it comes at us when Israel had been in captivity for some 490 years. It was Babylon that had enslaved her. Time referred that I'll preach just a few minutes about is called the Babylonian captivity. It's never an easy place for God's people to be enslaved or surrounded by an opposing force. It's not an easy place. It never was and it never will be. But the Apostle Paul sounded the alarm early and he sounded it loud and clear. He said, for in this present world, we shall suffer persecution. It's going to be a bad day. It's going to be a long day. It's going to be a battle like no other battle. But I contend that God has not mismatched the church. 
I contend that God has not made a mistake for where sin doth abound. For where sin doth abound. For where sin doth abound. Grace doth that much more abound. I contend that the darker the night, the brighter the light. I contend the more hellish the world becomes, the greater the church shines. You ought to be helping me right now, not sitting there quiet. We are the church of Jesus Christ. We're the monitor. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Sacrifices, her praise, and her song had all but died. Israel was a mere shadow of what she was in the days of her glory. Now she appeared to be beaten down and oppressed and almost destroyed. But I contend that God will not leave his people in that condition long. I'll say it so you understand it. Weeping may endure for a season, but joy cometh in the morning. Hallelujah. I think we have a misunderstanding of the days of God. When God promises something, I don't think we fully understand his process. If we go back to the Genesis account, are you with me right now? If you go back to the Genesis account, Genesis chapter 1 and 2, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God created the firmament and divided the firmament. It goes on to say it like this. And when he got done, he said, and the evening and the morning were the first day. And the evening and the morning were the second day. We say the day begins at daybreak. But God says the day begins at sunset. God's work will always be masked in darkness before the light reveals it. And I contend the church has been in a dark season. I say the church has suffered the dark. You ought to help me right now. But as dark as it's been, as sleepy as the church has seemed, I contend there is a holy divine awakening of the church. And the day breaketh. The day breaketh. Hallelujah. God won't leave us there long. His people, those that really belong to him, can always rest assured that God's promises will always, without doubt, come to pass. Persia overthrows Babylon. Cyrus, the king of Persia, makes a decree that sets the Jews free and allows them to return to Jerusalem and Judea. With that little bit of pride that could be summoned, Israel lifts her head and marches out of Babylon. A fragment of the number who went in finally come out. If one wanted to, they could look at it and say that the freedom is really useless. The people are small in number and weak, weak and frail. The walls and the cities of their homeland have been destroyed. They might be free, but they're coming home to ruins. The decree of Ezra comes to us now. That old prophet of Israel who refused to see things through human eyes. Rather, he lifted up his eyes unto God and God began to speak to him. In Ezra 9, 8 and 9, he says, For a little space, grace hath been showed from the Lord our God to leave us a remnant to escape and to give us a nail in his holy place. 
that our God may lighten our eyes and give us a reviving in our bondage. But he hath extended mercy unto us at the sight of the kings. Hear me now. And he brings in that Jerusalem and Judah is where it's going to start. Jerusalem and Judah is going to be the grand ignition or the igniter of the restoration of the church. I contend tonight that if God's men don't find their praise and if God's men don't find their prayer, we will never have the revival of the end time. That the restoration that's coming to us even in this men's conference is the understanding that I am a mighty man of God Woo! Clap your hands. Come on, clap your hands. Hallelujah. God's going to have a church. God's going to have a people. It doesn't matter what the world does. It doesn't matter what the world says. God's going to have a church. God's going to have a people. And he says the first thing you got to get right, you got to get back to Judah. You got to get back to praise. My God in heaven, if the men of the United Pentecostal Church will ever fall in love with the kind of praise that we are known for. You may tell you how I know I'm right because there's only about 10 or 15 standing the rest of you feeling a little check right now. We don't like to be challenged to praise. We're so arrogant. We've got so much pride. God's done so much for us. Come on, folks. If it wasn't for the love and the grace of Jesus Christ, where would we be? If God hadn't saved you, where would you be? Come on, folks. You got to find your praise. I want you to hear this statement. Stay where you are, but I want you to hear this statement. The praise that I'm preaching about is not a response to preaching. It's a lifestyle. It's something you abide in. It's something you live in. It's something you create. It's not just a response to a preacher's sermon. But it's something that I understand. God inhabits the praises of his people. You know why your church may be a little on the dead side? Because you forgot that you're the key to it. I don't know if you heard me that or not. I said if you're blaming your church for being dead and twice plucked up, go look in the mirror. You'll find the problem. Problem's not the pulpit. The word of God will always go across anointed. We're just not building God a house for him to abide in. I'm not talking about you jumping up when your preacher preaches and say, I affirm that. I'm talking about when you get out of your car and you enter into his presence and you walk into his gates and you don't do it with murmuring and complaining and you don't do it with negativity. You just start walking in saying, I am a mighty man. I'm not a weak man. I'm a mighty man. I'm a man of Judah. I live. I live. In this place, in this men's conference, we could tear hell up. We could take the lid off apostolic revival if this group of men would fall in love right now with apostolic praise and apostolic worship. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Somehow we got we to gotta get an understanding that when the day of Pentecost was, when the day of Pentecost was, they were all in. Oh, there's that oneness again. They were all in one place and in one mind. There's that language and speech again. And suddenly, my God have mercy. How long has it been since you've been in a pulpit preaching? And suddenly the Holy Ghost fell. Well, we got to organize it. It can only fall during song service and altar service. Suddenly, suddenly, we're so predictable. Man, I, I, I don't mean to be mean, but we're so predictable. I can preach certain things and know men are going to get up, women are going to get up in UPC. There are hot buttons you can push and you guarantee yourself a response. That's not what I'm talking about. That's not suddenly. That's predictability. I'm talking about a suddenly spirit. Where you're together. You're more focused on being together. If my brother's up, I'm up. If my brother's clapping, I'm clapping. If he's running, I'm running. And... Suddenly there come a sound from heaven as if a rushing mighty wind and it filled all the house where they were sitting and there appeared cloven tongues under them and it set upon and it set upon and it set upon you and you and you and you and you and it set upon me and the house was filled with the presence of God but it didn't just stop in the upper room. It ran down the stairs. It walked through Jerusalem. And it spread, come on, Pentecostal men. It spread to the entire world. I want a suddenly Holy Ghost explosion tonight. And when it was noised abroad, they come running, and they got to looking at these new Pentecostal people, and they said, y'all drunk. That's the only thing that explains your actions. You're drunk. When's the last time we were accused of being drunk? Okay, okay, so you don't wear it. Okay, so you don't drink it. Okay, so you make sure your wife don't cut it. Salute you, brother. I feel you, dog. But there's more to Pentecost than that. Boy, I'm feeling bold right now. There's more to Pentecost. And I, look, look, look. Don't negate those other things. They're important. Brother, you got to come out from the world. you got to be separate. You can't touch unclean things. You can't live like the world and love Jesus. You can't talk like the world and love Jesus. You can't dress like the world and love Jesus. Come out from among them. Be ye separate, saith the Lord, and I will receive you unto myself. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. You'll be holy because I'm holy. Here we go. But the day of Pentecost happened when the explosion being the product of togetherness took place. 
and they begin to shout and they begin to worship God and the Holy Ghost moved through their cities and their cities came to them and said, y'all are drunk. And it gave the preacher the first opportunity to share the good news of Jesus. No wonder we're not having people get the Holy Ghost because those that already have it don't We don't act like it. Man, I, I, I want to be nice tonight. But oh my God, it makes the preacher's job so much easier. And he can just walk to the pulpit and say, repent. Be baptized. Every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Rather than to have to preach to the church to get to the sinner. Feeling, I'm feeling that alone spirit right now, but Scott, move me. Go ahead. Can, can I just, uh, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I'm so tired of arrogant Pentecostals. I'm so, I'm so tired of the junk we put up with in our pulpits. I'm so tired of looking out there to people that got saved or think they're saved. They think they're saved. And preaching through their carnality and preaching through their preconceived ideas to try to get to the drug addict or the cokehead. You can't even preach to sinners because the church is in the way. You're supposed to help the pulpit, not hinder it. Judah. Judah. He said, start in Jerusalem. Go to Judah. Start in Judah. Go to, get praise right. You know what praise is? Get me. Psalms 150. Stay standing. Let's just follow the Holy Ghost here a minute. Psalms 150. Somebody have it? Praise you the Lord. Praise God. Praise Him in His sanctuary. I'm just waiting. Praise him in his sanctuary. Praise him in the firmament of his power. him for his mighty acts. I wasn't there when Lazarus was raised from the dead, but I think I'll praise him for doing it anyway. I wasn't there when Israel walked across on dry, but I'll thank him, I'll bless him, I'll Pentecostal men, you are biblically commanded to praise him for his mighty. Brother Scott, the revelation of that statement is God doesn't have to do anything for you or me, but we predicate 
our response to God on what God does for us individually. And when we think God is unjust or unfair, we punish Him. You don't have to like me right now, but more often than not, you come into your local assembly, you cross your arms, you lean back on your pew, and you say, move me if you can. You may not know you're doing it, but if you don't do directly the opposite, here we go, you are commanded, not to praise Him for His mighty acts, but hang on, hang on, here's the real issue. Praise Him according to. You ready? However great you think God is. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You know why we have dead church? Because the people that have been blood-bought and redeemed have lost their revelation of His greatness. We've got Him as some little peon. We've got Him as some kind of God. We've got Him as some kind of king. But the Bible declares for how great is our God. There is none like Him. There is none greater than Him. He alone. If I had the voice, I'd preach it harder. He alone stretches out the heavens. He rides on the wings of wind. He that's okay, stand there. You're just telling me how great you think God is. But if you can weep in His presence, if you can clap in His presence, if you can give God praise, you'll understand my God is great and He's greatly and He's greatly and He's... Come on, come on, sir. Praise Him. Praise Him with greatness. Praise Him with excellence. Praise ye... Go ahead. Can I challenge you? This is what the world does to presidents. Did you hear me? This is what the world does to presidents. We're not clapping to a president. We're not clapping to a dignitary. We are worshiping the one, the only, the sovereign, the great, the high and lofty, the holy... If I stopped every one of you and I made you come up here face to face and I ask you, so how great is your God? You would tell me. You would articulate to me. He's great. He opens blind eyes. He unstops deaf ears. 
He walks on waters. He speaks worlds into existence. He creates things out of nothing. He hangs nothing on something. And that nothing becomes something and it hangs forever and eternity. You would just, you would profess all the greatness. You would profess all the miraculous power of God. But if I ask you to praise him according to that. Can I tell you why the day of Pentecost happened? It's because they made up their minds. There's no big eyes or little U's. We're in this thing together. And the only way it's going to happen is if we get to Jerusalem. I'll get to prayer in a minute. We got to get to Jerusalem. And we've got to find Jude. My God, Pentecostal brother. We got to find our praise. We got to find our celebration. God is great. And then he said, after you get to Judah, you got to get to Jerusalem. Jerusalem is known as the house of prayer. When you talk about Judah, it's synonymous with praise. You say Jerusalem, it's synonymous with prayer. God says, if you're going to have a nail in a sure place, you're going to have to be a praiser and a praying man. How come that's the two hardest thing for men to do? Seriously, come on. Ain't, ain't, no, ain't no femininity here tonight, it's just us. How come it's hard for us to praise and pray? Because we're masculine. Because we're Tarzan. We beat our chest and swing vines. We gotta, we gotta prove that we're tough and we have need of nothing. And if you praise, you are admitting one greater than you. And if you pray, you're acknowledging you need him. And men have a problem acknowledging something greater or stronger than themselves. Let me just tell you something. Paul had it right. He said, without you, without you, oh my God, I can't do anything. I'm so weak I can't even lift my hands without you I tried preaching one time without you And they put a whooping on me I'll never forget So I made up my mind The next time I preach to them I'm not going with enticing words of man's wisdom I'm going preaching Jesus I'm going preaching Jesus I, My God I know he's greater than I I can't do anything without Come on brother Admit with me right now Without God we're powerless Without God we can't do anything Without God we can't even live we got to fall in love with praise. And I'm not just talking about response. I'm not talking about noise. I'm talking about the full acknowledgement. How great is our King. How great is our God. There's none like you in all of the world, all of the earth, all of the universe. You alone stretcheth out the heavens. The earth, the earth is your footstool. Heaven is your recliner. You do not need me. I need you. And I can't stand in your presence and not knowledge and not confess. I need Jesus. I need Jesus every day. I need Jesus every second of that day. I can't walk without Jesus. I can't talk without Jesus. I can't live without Jesus. I want to help somebody right now before I move. Lord, help me. I meant to be done by now. Is this okay? Uh, Scott, will you help me? I shouldn't even ask you that. I know you will. Will you grab a chair and will you sit right here? 
Ezekiel, you can stay standing. You can sit down. I'm just going to be just a few more minutes. But Ezekiel chapter um, 28, Ezekiel 38, um, is, the, is the introduction of how Lucifer got kicked out of heaven. Thou wast the anointed cherub that covereth. You with me? Past tense. Thou wast the anointed cherub that covereth. Thou wast in the garden of Eden. I anointed and I put you there. I also placed upon thee a covering. And on thy covering was the sardis, the topaz, the onyx, the beryl, the sapphire. Every precious stone was thy covering. Am I right? Is that right? Every precious stone was thy covering. But every precious stone that's mentioned does not absorb, it reflects. And so the reason Lucifer was dressed with those stones is because when he would come into the presence of the S-U-N and the S-O-N, because in the New Testament church, the book of Revelation, he inhabits the sun. He swallows the earth's sun. He becomes the source of light. It's really in there. If you read it, 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 I promise it's in there. He is the light. And so when Lucifer would come in dressed, and whatever his covering looked like, he was covered with those jewels. He would walk in the presence of God. And you know what he would do? He would reflect. He said, I put in thee the timbrel and the dance. You know what Lucifer's covering was? It was reflectors, and he had a tambourine and a dance. And so when he would get in the presence of God, can I have somebody come in? I need a dancer. Proved my point, didn't it? Must be preaching to men. Thank you. That's okay. Get right here. You're going to look at the Lord. There he is. When you get there, I just want you to move a little bit and act like you're playing a tambourine and just dance, just like this. This is the devil right now. You're playing a good devil right now. This is the devil's job. He would come to the presence of God, and he couldn't touch the light, but he was the choir leader. He was the chief musician. He would play and dance, and every movement he made, the light from the throne would hit him and reflect off of him and penetrate every dark corner of the world. I'm just going to wait on you to catch up. Watch me. And then, this guy, come here, devil. You can sit down. I'll play the devil now. Before he was that gross, horrendous being that we call him, he was and still is the most beautiful of all creation. One day he walked in and said in his mind, Hmm. Hmm. I don't really think I have to do this. Here's what I'm going to do. I will exalt my throne. Not above you. Not above you. Equal to you. I'm fixing to get you, sir. I know. You built your best defense, and I'm fixing to get you. I'm going to build my throne so I can be like you. Oh, I'd never do that. You do. Every time he moves in your church and you don't move, now we're in dangerous territory. Every time God starts hovering and moving and you sit there and say, I'm just too tired. 
Let that preacher preach. Let them go pray that new convert through. I don't have, uh-uh, uh-uh. You have become just like Lucifer. You're not trying to be greater than God. You just say, I don't have to give him anything. Here we go. Don't tweet this. You are never more demonic as when you refuse to give him praise. Smoke a cigarette, kill a man. That's sin. Name any sin you want, it's sin. But you are never more demonic as when he is in the house and you go. If I convince myself I'm almost like you, I owe you nothing. Careful, brother. Careful, man of God. When that foul spirit convinces you that you've lived for God long enough that you've earned the right not to. My daddy's 75 years old. He is completely deaf in his right ear. Since my birth, he's never heard. He, he's deaf in this one too, but we got a hearing aid in that one. It helps a little. His equilibrium is so, so jacked up, he has to be careful. He cannot move fast. Right? The hearing issue. But when my dad gets in the presence of God, he can dance harder. He can dance more violently than any man I know alive today. And it is a miracle that my dad can move as fast as he can when he's worshiping God. If he gets up too quick, he has to. But if you could see worship. What my dad could say is, I, I, you know, I can't, I can't move fast. So, I, you know, I can't worship too much. Preacher, you'll just have to understand, I, I'm just not that kind of guy. That's just not what I do. I, I'll pay my tithes. And I, yeah, because that's all about you. Well, I may not ever get asked back. Whew. You know, I'll give an offering. I, I, I'll raise my hand to get that $1,000 support because I want the church to know I gave it. But there's going to have to be a time in your life. There's going to have to be an acceptance in your walk with God when you fully acknowledge. I'm nothing like you. And I just want to prove to you. I can't get low enough. I can't abase myself enough. I can't. The next thing you read, and I beheld Satan, and I beheld Satan fall like lightning. You know how, you know how long God tolerates anybody that wants to be equal to him? Look how quick he got rid of Lucifer. You see how seductive and sensual that spirit is? The spirit that says you don't have to praise? Because the devil knows he won't have to trip you up. God will deal with you when you become a non-praiser. You'll graduate after tonight. Pastor don't have to do anything to you. God does. Let me tell you why you're going through hell and you keep going through hell and you can't seem to get out of hell because you can't figure out you can't get out of hell without God. 
You just can't figure out that you're not strong enough, you're not smart enough, and you don't have enough money. And if you would ever just fully acknowledge, without you, I can do nothing. Without you, I can't even... Come on, we need to praise him right now. We just need to glorify. You may be seated. You're a nail. My life. My ministry. As funny as it seems, that's that's about all it is. It's a nail. That nail is powerless by itself. It has all kinds of potential. But if it's just a nail, it will never live up to its potential. And so I began to think about the nail. I began to think about the nail in a sure place. Then I began to think about the verse that said, For upon it hang important things. Some of great value and some of not so great value. But they're all important. So I got to thinking about that nail's pretty important. You with me? I don't mean to embarrass my sons, but where's Colton at? He went, that's my boy. He's out, he's out surfing or doing something. Dad's preaching. Dylan's passing out nails. Devin, will you just wave your hand? That's my oldest boy. They Hang on this nail. My wife hangs on that nail. Brother Scott, I have a church. That church hangs on that nail. That nail becomes important, not for what it is, but for what hangs on it. Mason, you hang on your dad's nail. Wished I knew more father-sons here today. Your kids hang on that nail. Your grandbabies are going to hang on that nail. Your sons-in-laws and daughter-in-laws, anybody that you influence, they hang on that nail. That nail's pretty important, wouldn't you say? That's important. But what good is that nail if it's just a nail? So here's what modern society says. Brother Butler Will you help me? I've, I've swung a hammer with you. I know you can handle one. Will you grab that hammer and that, that sheetrock right there? It's pretty important. I've met your wife and your kids. You got a boy here somewhere? There you are. That boy will rest on that nail. So it becomes important of what I drive that nail into because the nail is me.
but what I put it into determines its strength. Because that that hangs on it needs to know that the nail is strong. But not just the nail. I'm going to hold that up here, Brother Butler. If you'll just nail your nail into that. Just in the sheetrock. Not in the pulpit. That's good enough. Will you hold this microphone?
Messing up the sales of the CD, I apologize, sir. We, we got we to gotta quit fixing what we're missing and get back to getting what we've lost. We, we do need divine glory. We need to put an altar. We need to put an altar in our churches. Doesn't have to be physical, but there needs to be spiritual altars in our churches so that the people can come and put sacrifices on them. Because God will not respond with fire if there's no sacrifice. You can't make a sacrifice if there's no altars. Quit masking what we've lost and acknowledge we got to get back to the mountain. We got to get back face. Jerusalem is still the answer. Let's be relevant. Do I dare address that? Let's be relevant. Let's fit in. I told my boys, look, I'm not against casual dress. And don't, don't, judge, don't judge me harshly. 
I have a hard time preaching in blue jeans and my shirt tail out. I do. I preach in churches where the sanctuary is dark. I say, okay, y'all had your fun now. Turn on the light because I'm fixing to preach. I'm sorry, I'm not preaching in dark churches if I don't have to. Oh, that's pity. That's just, that, that's, that's, so, that's so insignificant to you. Stand up, Billy. Devin, you don't have to, but Devin, Colton, where you at, son? Stand up. It may be trivial to you. You see these two guys? They're still in my house. And they hang on my nail. And I'm not taking a chance of driving my life and my ministry and my future into something that's weak, unproven, has no track record. I ain't done it. If it was just me, it'd be different. But when that little boy puts his head on his pillow at night, he needs the peace of the Holy Ghost to settle his spirit and settle his mind. And I don't want the filth in my house that convolutes sleep. Read between the lines because he hangs on it. Because there's going to be a day he's going to choose a wife, and they're going to have babies, and I'm going to get grandsons. And I want him to want to come to daddy's house on Thanksgiving, not despise what daddy is. You just hang on a minute. And if you don't learn to drive your life, if you don't learn, sir, to drive your life into something strong, something right, you'll build your future on shallow things. You'll jeopardize your life, your wife, your future on shallow things when the most important decision you will ever make is what to drive your nail into. Don't drive it into a weak church. Grab a piece of wood. On it hangs. On it hangs. And Brother Butler, there's a lot of strength in that nail. You take an old 16-penny nail and hundreds and almost thousands of pounds can hang on that nail if the nail is driven right and into something equally as strong. You can't hold them by yourself. You are incapable just being the nail. And so what you drive the nail into becomes equally as important as the nail. So I made up my life and my mind I'm not going to drive my life into anything that's shallow. I'm not going to drive my life into anything that the nail would ever have a chance of coming out on its own. If the weight on the nail has the potential of pulling it out, it's waiting on you. So I decided, Brother Butler, to drive the nail, please don't hit my finger, into something I'm going to tell you something, brother. I'll give you $1,000 right now. I'll give you $2,000 cash right now, right now, if you can pull that nail out without the handle. You know what this old piece of wood represents? You've got to drive your nail in the right church. Now, I'm not going to pump you up. I'm not going to cheer you up. I'm just going to be... 
I'm going to be very blunt right now. You need to drive your nail into the right church. And you need to stick to that church. And you don't need to hop from church to church. Because let me tell you something, Brother Butler. Come here. You can pull that nail out with that hammer. But the minute you pull the nail out, it weakens. And when you try to put that nail back into that same hole, you have lost the structure of it. You've lost the strength of it. It will hold some weight, but it will no longer hold what it was intended to hold because you have weakened it by bad decisions. I'm just, I'm just, I'm, look, you know what, let me explain myself here. I'm, I'm tired of going to men's conference. I'm tired of being the men in the men's conference where all we hear is how good God is, how great God is, and we get all high. And hyped up in emotions, and then we walk outside, and the devil hits us right between the eyes. And we lose before we get in our car everything we thought we gained. I made up my mind that what I drive my nail into matters, Brother Butler. So I'm going to drive it into the Word. Not into philosophy. Not into the United Pentecostal Church's doctrines. I'm going to drive my life into the Word of God. I'm going to not looking for response. I'm going to drive my life into the Word of God because it is absolutely impossible for it to fail. It will never mislead. It will never hurt me. It will always do what's best for me. It is a light unto my path. It protects me. It guides me. It guards me. It feeds me. It is the shade in the summer. It is the fire in the winter. It is everything that I need and not just me. If I drive my life into that word, the immutable, infallible word of God, then everything that hangs on me becomes safe because I made the right decision in what I invest in. You need the right church. You need to drive your life into the Word of God. You need to be a student of the Word of God. You need to be daily in the Word of God. You need to love the Word of God. Thank you, Elder. I think that says enough. Let's pray.
for on it, for on it, for on it hang the vessels, both small and great. All the big decisions you make of your life, all the small decisions you make about life, the important things of your life weigh, they rest upon those decisions. If you don't drive your life into something that can hang and hold, if you can't get your life devoted into a church that loves the divine inspired Word of God, you ought to fall in love with the Word, the church, the body of God. You ought to fall in love with the doctrine of Scripture. You ought to fall in love with Calvary all over again. You ought to love your man of God for preaching to you the Word of God. You ought to support it. You ought to support it by putting your nail in that local church. Come on, men of God. On it, on those nails, on this decision hangs all, all of the vessels both small and great. There's an accessory here right now. There's a deep travail here right now. I wished, I wished I had time tonight to paint you a picture of the good men, of good men that God let me pastor. Good men, Brother Blackshear, that God let me pastor. That when it come time to make a life decision, they thought they could just be the nail and they could make all the decisions, Brother Churchill, by themselves. They didn't need the influence of the pastor. They didn't need the influence of the Word of God. They were strong enough to do it. I wished, I wished I could share with you the story of what I dealt with yesterday even on the way to get to here of the man, of the man who sought my counsel. I looked at him and I said, I just don't think it's a good decision. And he said, but why? I said, I can't tell you why altogether. I'm just telling you, I feel something deep in my spirit. I don't think it's a good thing. And he said, well, I think I'll do what I think's right. And when I looked at him, I said, I can't help you anymore. I'm done. I said, I love you. This church will always be here for you. And as the man got up and left my office, as he touched my door to leave, the Holy Ghost hit me. And I said, Mike, turn around and look at me, Mike. 
I said, when you walk out that door and you close it behind you, you'll lose every one of your kids. Your wife will leave you high and dry. Did I pronounce judgment? Did I make it happen? No. No. I just was the voice to remind him, if you don't take that nail, Mike, and you don't put it into something solid, you put in that old flimsy piece of sheetrock, and when the weight of those children and the weight of your marriage rests upon it, there's not enough of it to support the weight of you and the nail and that that rests upon it. But Mike, if you will devote yourself and drive yourself into what's right, that man come back to my church about five months ago. He willed, in, he willed into town. His wife has divorced him, and all three of his kids are backslid. They are drug addicts. One of them is a 15-year-old girl that's pregnant right now, divorced at 15. He was on the platform last Wednesday night, and he said, can I ever, can I ever get it back? Can I ever win it back? And I had to be honest. I said, Mike, I don't think so. I think it's over. I think that's a chapter in your life. You're just going to have to live with the fact that you made the wrong decision. I know there's many things that I could have preached tonight different. I know that we could have stayed in the vein of worship and praise and closed high. But again, that's what we do. But if somebody don't start getting honest with the men of God's church and tell them it matters where you put that nail there's a lot of important things resting on your decisions. You don't need to make a decision without consulting the Word of God. You better not make a decision without consulting the shepherd of your life. That's a bad decision. Drive it into the Word. Let the Word guide you. Let the Word... Son, I can't tell you why. I can't tell you why. Sometimes it don't make sense. But I'm going to tell you what I promise you. I promise you that I took my nail. And Cole, I drove it so deep in the Word of God that I won't even move a day without first seeking it. I promise you, Colton, You'll never ask me a question that I do not seize in my answer based on the Word of God, based upon the Holy Ghost. I want you to know, Colton, from this day forward, you can rest on my nail because I have driven my life into something that is eternal, something that will never change, something that will not grow weak with use or age. It is forever. It is forever. It is forever. You can live safe. You can live sound. You can... Or, Colton, I can drive my nail into this old world's thinking where things the church teaches and preaches, they're just outdated. They're just old stuff. It's just not applicable to us today. And I can take the restrictions off your life and just tell you to live however the world thinks is fair. I can drive my life into something like that. But you remember, son, you hang on that nail. And it matters what I do with my life.
Let me tell you something, sir. Quit being so selfish that all you think about is your desires, what you want, what you like. You better drive your nail into that word. You better drive your nail into a church that loves God, preaches God, holds fast to truth, won't compromise, won't turn, won't let shadows into the building. Come on, somebody help me right now. I'm done. You better drive your nail into something that is eternal, something that lasts, something that when the weight of your household rests upon you, you can support them because you're driven. You are driven. You're driven into something stronger and greater than you are. Let's pray. Let's pray wherever you are, wherever you are, wherever you are, wherever altar you choose to make. Let's pray. Let's pray. Keep praying. Come on, Pastor. I want to talk to you a minute. Come on, preacher. I want to talk to you a minute. It ain't time for us to change our doctrine. No, sir. It's not time to become relevant. It's not time to fit in. It's not time to change what has always worked. It's not, I don't care how big the other churches are. I don't care how flamboyant they are. I don't care how large their attendance is. That is irrelevant to me. What matters, man of God, is are we still preaching? Are we still contending for what the Apostle Paul and Jesus... Come on, preachers, help me just a minute. Let's show our men that we are driven in the right thing. We won't compromise. Let me tell you something, brother. If your pastor's here, you can count on him. You can hang your life and your children and your future on your man of God. I know I've been long and I'm out of time. Would you pray with me right now? Can we lift our voices? Come on, men of God. Come on, mighty men. If your pastor's here, find him. I'm not telling you to lay hands on him. I'm just telling you to stand with him. Just stand with him. If your shepherd's here, go stand with him. If your covering's here, go stand with him. If your pastor's not here, find your district superintendent. Find one of the presbyters. Find one of the elders of your district. Thank you, man of God. Thank you, nail in a sure place. Thank you, strength of my life. Thank you for supporting me. Thank you for letting me hang on you. Thank you for letting me build my life and my future on you. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Shepherd. Thank you, Watchman. My children, my wife, my marriage, my life is dependent on your strength. Don't, don't weaken. Don't pull out. Don't change. Don't. Don't, 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 don't. I depend on you. I need you. I hang my life on you. 
My children are dependent on you, man of God. Please, sir. Please, pastor. Please, shepherd. Drive your nail into the sure word of God. That's it, keep praying. This is a sure place. This is a sure place. What you're doing right now and who you're doing it with, this is a sure thing. It's not a gamble at Vegas. You're not rolling the dice and hoping you win. I'm going to tell you, sir, I'm going to tell you, man, if you'll hang your life, if you'll plant that nail, if you'll drive it into a sure place, God's always going to be greater than this present world. The world can outwit and outmaneuver God. You are safe in the Word of God. You are safe in the church. You are safe in the house of God. Find you a church and commit. Find you a church and drive that nail deep in that church. Let that pastor know you can hang things on me. You can put things on me. I won't drive my life into something that will tear out. Won't you listen to me? There's a lot of pressure. There is a tremendous amount of pressure. Some of you don't even realize it. But there's so much pressure, Elder Churchill, coming from the laity.
they're putting an unprecedented amount of pressure on their man of God. Well, why can't we? But I mean, does that really matter? I mean, I know it was okay then, and I, I understand it for my dad. I, but, but pastor, I mean, I mean, but what about? Won't you listen to me? You better think about what you're saying. You're asking him to move that nail. It's impossible to pull it out without bending it. So wherever you drive it back into, it will never be straight or strong again. Just be careful. When you see somebody else doing something and your flesh wants to do it bad enough, that you start putting that kind of pressure on your shepherd. Move my nail. No, move your nail, shepherd. Because, see, I hang on your nail. You better hope to God your man of God is driven so deep into the word that nothing shakes him. I'm not... I'm not blowing horns, I'm not blowing horns, and I'm not just building up friends. But I'm going to tell you what, I've had so many of my peers, so many of my friends decide that this fellowship was too strict and our doctrines couldn't be explained. And it makes me so much more appreciative of my friends. I know you're my elder, but I appreciate the fact. Brother Glover, I appreciate the fact. But I am a little more thankful that my generation, we have lost some of the dearest and closest friends. I lost a 30-year friendship. When they started saying, well, that's not important anymore. Well, you really can't prove that. Well, that's really not what Paul meant. And they yank that nail out and they drive it into something. And now look at them. I'd rather go to heaven, halt and blind and lame than to miss heaven. I'd rather get there and the Lord look at me and say, you silly, silly, silly thing. You could have done all that. Than to get there and him say, you foolish, foolish man. You should have done none of that. What a symbol. This is his word. This is the church that we belong to. This is that pledge that says, God, on my nail hangs my wife and my children and all my future decisions and all my likes and dislikes and all my wants and desires. On that nail hangs. All the vessels, small and great. Did you get that? Everything in my house hangs on that nail. I walk away from pulpits like this and I beat myself up because I'm thinking, God, if we don't get this right right now, if we don't wake up, God, if the people of God don't. 
men we can't change. Man that if I mention his name, everybody knows him. Used among us a while ago, went to social media and said, I baptized some new converts in my church, and I baptized them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ our Lord. And there were friends that complimented him, and there were friends that didn't say anything to him, Something deep in my life said, that's not right. I can't drive my nail into that. And I normally stay away and off stuff like this, but I publicly said, what an embarrassment. What a damnable doctrine. How dare you, how dare you insult the integrity of Scripture. You won't find anywhere, anytime, any place. Baptism being commanded or issued in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, which is Jesus Christ. That's a cop-out. That's you pulling that nail out of that and driving into that because you want more things. But the problem is the weight of those things are going to tear you out of that, and you won't be able to handle it. I'll tell you how you're going to be baptized. In the name of Jesus Christ. That's it. Because those boys, those future preachers deserve a church that is not a mud hole, but it is a spring of living water. They deserve to take something that's rooted and grounded in truth, not compromised. I want to put a fight in some of you. I've driven my, my nail in the Word of God. I've driven my nail into the church of the living God, and I'm not moving. My old pastor used to say it like this, come hell or high water, I'm not moving. I don't care what hell says. I don't care what doctrines. I don't care what comes down the pike. Listen to me, devil. You can attack. You can wage war. But the Word says, the Word says, that when without the Word, the Word says, no weapon formed against me shall prosper. Every tongue that riseth against me in judgment thou shalt condemn, for this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is of me. Micah 7, 8, rejoice not against me, O mine enemy, for when I fall, I shall arise. When I sit in darkness, the Lord shall be a light unto me. Why would I want to leave that kind of power? Thank God for every apostolic Jesus' name, man of God here tonight. I salute you, and the church is safe because of you. Somebody ought to shout Jesus. My Lord. Anybody can honestly say they're leaving this place the same way they came. No way. No way. God in heaven. Thank you so much, Brother Morgan. Hallelujah.
sometimes it's just just impossible to dismiss you. Just can't do that. The presence of God has been in here from front to to back and left to right. I appreciate your willingness to let Brother Morgan preach to you. I want to be a better husband. I want to be a better father. I want to make a difference. God bless you all tonight. Brother Vila is out there. He's got a hot dog cart. You want to go out there? Best hot dogs around. I hope you won't have to leave right away. I hope you'll be able to stick around and fellowship. God bless you. We have breakfast in the morning and service. If you have not paid your registration, whether it's one session or any session, could you please see me? We'll get that squared away and done and over with. Thank you again, Brother Morgan.